Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and our co-host today is Becca Aceto. Hi, Becca. Good morning, Marsha. How's your day going so far today? Um, you know, I have like, I don't want to be uh, overdramatic, but I have like 100 bug bites all Oof. over my body from the weekend, but Oof. it was, you know, it's been a fantastic morning regardless. So I'm just trying not to itch those mosquito bites. <laughs> I have three mysterious mosquito bites um, that showed up this morning, and I don't know when I got them or where <laughs> they came from. Um, and they, tis the season. Tis the season. Either when I was sleeping or one happened to crawl up my pant leg at some point when I was outside. But they're the worst. Do you? Is there anything that you use specifically to like stop the itch? Do you have any special secrets? Or do you no, just, I just willpower? try to use my willpower and not touch them, but... Yeah. That's easier said than done. <laughs> uh, you, I bet. Our, so our guest today is BB Dalton Harrison. Uh, BB is another Artemis ambassador in South Carolina. And BB, first of all, thank you for joining us. And second of all, I hear South Carolina has mosquitoes, and maybe you have some tricks for us. They are awful. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, yes, skin so soft. But actually, I learned from a fishing guide. Um, that there was a scent of um, body spray from Victoria's Secret called Amber Romance. I don't even know if they make it anymore, but I have several bottles of it, and that's what I've always used to keep the bugs. Dad heard it at the tackle shop, and we always use Amber Romance while we're out fishing. So we that can keep so them. That is amazing. <laughs> so, okay, I have, I have two follow-up questions. One is, what about it? deters the bugs and two does it smell okay to humans <laughs> like... <laughs> so well a lot of people used to use the avon skin so soft to keep the bugs away and i didn't like that scent and it was that was meant for humans to put on and i didn't ever like that scent but the amber romance um this this guy's wife was fishing with him and he kept saying why aren't the bugs bothering you and so i don't know what it is but it's I mean, it, it wouldn't be my first choice of scent, but I, it's pleasant <laughs> enough. <laughs> I I like it. Um, I don't know what it is that keeps the mosquitoes off, but it seems to work really well. That's awesome. Like I said, I don't know if they still make it anymore, but it's worth a shot. <laughs> well, I think I'm I'm going to, I mean, I feel like that I'm going to delve into that and find out. I'll research and let everybody know. <laughs> this is a good, so I will answer that question on the Artemis Podcast Facebook group. So Coming soon. of the Amber Romance test. <laughs> so when a box of that shows up at my boyfriend's place, like in the middle of the wilderness, <laughs> I'll have Yes, you'll be, it'll, it's okay. It's totally okay. Oh, <laughs> Don't panic. <laughs> And when he comes out smelling like it, <laughs> yeah. you, all, although it would cause a red flag initially, but yes, it's totally fine. It's there for the mosquitoes only. That's fantastic. Oh, that's so, uh, uh, so BB, where in South Carolina are you? 
So I live actually in Mount Pleasant, which is just outside of Charleston. And I grew up here. I'm actually living in the house where I grew up right now. And um, I'm about five blocks in from the water on two sides. So if I have free time, that's where I am. That sounds amazing. I can only, so I, I, when I lived in Massachusetts, I lived um, like, you know, miles, like just a couple of miles from the ocean. But that is probably one of mm-hmm. the things that I miss most is being like walking out your front door in the morning and smelling that ocean air. And I can't even imagine what that's like for you being it, right there. So we have the marsh or plus okay. mud and salt marsh. And, and so everybody talks about when you go away to college or you go away, move away for a while and you come back home, you hit that Creek when you're coming into town and everybody just rolls their window down because that's, mm-hmm. that's what home smells like. Mm-hmm. So definitely we, we love that salt marsh aroma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not so much as like at low tide when there's some dead fish around <laughs> or something, but it's really hot out like and it's low tide. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but overall that, that, salt water hanging in the air maybe a little magnolia in there mixed in Mm, good stuff that sounds delightful (laughs) Uh, so yeah I love it I did move away um I went to school in Columbia and came back home worked for a little bit moved away for about about eight about 10 years and then um I was ready to come back to the coast so definitely have salt water in my veins can you tell I've can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a child growing up in that um, environment? And I mean, it sounds like the ocean and fishing and boating have always been a part of your life. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So I have been fishing since before I can remember. (laughs) Um, My parents moved here and about in the early 60s and uh and built this house and so we were very he picked the place because of the proximity to the water i mean we're about a mile from the boat ramp the public boat ramp and um we we always had a boat so saturday usually saturday and sunday no matter what we were we were on on the water and if you're familiar and some people in South Carolina typically know that there's a there was a little island out in Charleston Harbor called Crab Bank. Crab Bank has been washed away. It was made of dredge spoil, and um, so as they dredged Charleston Harbor for the big ships to come in, they would just pile it there, and it made an island. And so we that's where I spent my childhood on that island. And um, so over the years and hurricanes and all that stuff, that island's washed away. Well, it was a huge bird habitat rookery. So right now um, there's been a huge push to raise funds and our South Carolina Wildlife Federation was part of this group to raise the, I think it was a little over $2 million to re-nourish that so that we could have a bird rookery again. Cause it was a huge shore place for shorebirds to nest. I mean, even my whole life it was. And we were very aware that there were nesting birds on that island. It was, I think, about a, a mile long, maybe. So it wasn't a big, big island, but it was enough to, to sustain a healthy 
nesting population of birds. Um, but that being gone, it, it's just changed that whole, the whole area. So right now they've gotten the funding and, and they're in works of, of going ahead and re-nourishing Crab Bank. But that's where I would go. We would, there was, some of it was marsh and some of it was beach. So I'm not exactly sure their plans. I'm hoping we're going to have some seeding of salt marsh, Spartina and stuff like that. Um, but that's since it was dread spoil there was all kinds of sharks teeth and shells and things that were out there so when i was out there there it was a it was an event it was not like you just went out there for a little while and you came back we were there and we stayed there when the fishing when the tide was turning and it was not necessarily good to fish we were walking up and down the beach looking for sharks teeth and shells and fossils and things like that um but when the when the tide was moving we were fishing and, and pretty much we were fishing for the, for dinner. Um, so I did fish and harvest a lot. It wasn't until later I started participating in more catch and release, but we were, we were out there to catch dinner. Um, mom was on the beach reading her book. And then as soon as she was, she, she wasn't very patient. <laughs> so, so she would sit there and read the book until she started seeing rods bend and then she would get up and come out. I like it. <laughs> Work smarter, not girls. harder. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So there were three girls in our family. Dad, I was the last try for a boy. I always tell everybody that. Um, that's what so, I was. So too. my real name is. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. My real name is Nancy Elizabeth, but BB was my dad's initial. So that's why I go by BB. <laughs> but, you know, we, we harvested dinner and played and everything. But, you know, looking back on it, I didn't know a lot of what he was teaching me. Um, when I didn't know why we would take a break and go look for shark teeth. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized we were doing that because the tide was dead low or something like that. I, there were lessons that he was teaching me all through that time that I didn't realize, like we would get up early sometimes and go get bait. We would get bait in the middle of the trip. Sometimes I didn't know why he was doing things when he was doing them, but it was all title title related. And there was always reasons behind it, which I eventually learned. But, um, you know, I try to, I try to kind of teach that on the front end now, instead of trying to let people figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, what kind of fishing, um, what, like what gear do you use and, and what kind of fish are you catching? I grew up fishing with spinning rods. Um, my older sisters are quite a bit older than I am. One's eight years older and one's 13 years older. So they said that they used the spin cast or the, the push button type some when they were first starting out. But by the time I came along, it was like, here's a spinning rod just use it <laughs> but um we we always fish spinning gear and um inshore light tackle we were after trout and flounder and um occasionally there would be a black sea bass or um or a black drum or something like that but our main goal every time we went out was to catch trout and flounder we'd go crabbing sometimes you know throw the cast net for bait one of the cool things was my dad would hand tie our, the cast net he would so mm -hmm. we would we would I still can use that I'm scared to death to use it because I don't want to damage it but um you know over the oysters and things like that but those hand tied cast nets are 
something. I mean, there's kind of a piece of art right now, but you know, we were, a lot of people would catch redfish or spot tail bass or red drum or whatever you want to call them, all the same fish, but that's become a huge um, fish in, in the fishing world and saltwater world right now with the elite redfish series and, and things like that. Well, we got a redfish, we threw it back. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it is such a popular sport fish right now. It just still kind of puzzles me because that was never one of those that I would target. I mean, now I think it's cool if I catch one, but I don't ever keep them. We, we don't, we, we kept what we like to eat. Mm-hmm. And so people will always ask me like, oh, what kind of fish do you go when you get when you go out to eat? And I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> eat other people's fish. <laughs> <laughs> but but now I haven't been as consistent as even I was as a child. So now I'm like, oh, I got to really think about that because <laughs> I'm not catching enough fish to keep in my freezer. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question about trout and this is going to be, um, this, I'm, I feel like I'm going to sound silly, but when you say you're out oh. there catching trout, is there a saltwater trout? And if so, does yes. it taste the same as freshwater trout? That That is not a silly question. It's a great question because people get confused. So <laughs> in, in South Carolina and freshwater, we have rainbow brooks and browns in the mountains and they stay in the mountains. And then the, on the coast, we have, um, spotted sea trout or speckled sea trout people call them different things we also have weak fish which is basically a trout cousin i guess so weak fish and how do you spell that spotted sea trout sorry weak uh like w-e-a-k they're yeah their mouths are really kind of delicate and can tear so when you're setting a hook on a trout or um on a weak fish i try not to do be the rip lifter um where like like catching the largemouth where you're just yanking it but we do a nice gentle set or i i do a nice gentle set i will hook it but i try to be kind of gentle because their their mouths are kind of thin paper thin that's i i'm assuming that's why they call them weak fish but i'm not sure (laughs) um but yeah those two are very similar in appearance um and they get they get pretty good size so um Uh, I love flounders. That's kind of our family fish. I love it because when you catch a flounder and you fillet it, you get four fillets. So you get two off of each side, like top and bottom. Um, And then a trout, you just get two fillets. So I always think you get a bigger bang for your buck when you catch flounder. (laughs) But, um, But the trout, I have become kind of crazy about artificials lately and so I love to go and catch trout on artificials it's one of my things I'm working on oh and you you asked me if they tasted different they taste very different freshwater trout is in my opinion a lot you could be honest here I feel like you're (laughs) yeah yeah I mean Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't eaten a whole lot of freshwater fish, but it, I did prepare one. My children caught their first freshwater trout recently. And, and to me, and they, they enjoyed it, but it, and I prepared it the same way I would a sea trout. And it tasted a lot. I mean, you could taste a lot more, I guess, earthy, watery, fishy flavor. Um, with the with the fresh water than you could in the salt water. Um, the salt water is just a really light, white, flaky fish, and I and I think that 
that the fresh water just was a I don't know, it was just a little bit heavier on the fishy flavor. Um, do you what kind of freshwater trout was it? Um, what did he have? I, he had um brown. It was a brown trout. Interesting. Becca, do you eat brown trout? Yeah, yeah. I actually love trout, but Phoebe, exactly what you said. It's really earthy and fishy and you get used to it and you find the best flavor combinations to make that, you know, a good meal. But I'd be so interested to mm -hmm. try some sort of saltwater trout just because a lot of the trout I get are small, small brook trout, which I mm -hmm. typically just cook whole and then I'll flake the meat off with a fork. But um, uh -huh. it's so little oh, amount of meat done. that that fishy flavor <laughs> right. does kind of come through. Yeah. Yeah. Bibi, right. how do you, how do you, what's uh, your favorite recipe your crowd pleasing fish recipe well i have my special breading that is a family secret <laughs> <laughs> no i mean usually we'll do we'll do just like pan fry them lightly um we do bake them um with with lemon pepper um sometimes but but you just can't beat a good fish fry i mean Fried fish and hush puppies and macaroni and cheese is was what I lived on <laughs> growing oh, up. That sounds so good. It does sound amazing. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be honest. It, it, I've lived in the West long enough where I forgot hush puppies exist, and that <gasps> just makes me really sad. <gasps> just oh remember my that. Gosh. <laughs> oh my word! Little little taste of honey in there. Some people put like some corn in there. Oh my goodness! There's a lot of good ways to do hush puppies. I'm gonna have to send you some mix. Oof. <laughs> Becca, you tell me when the hush puppy fish fry is and I will be there. <laughs> yeah. I will welcome any hush puppy mix. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I um you know, and I and I grew up doing that, the salt water, and I knew the salt water, and it wasn't until I was in my early twenties when I really added I mean I I dabbled in freshwater, but I really added freshwater and fly fishing more as an adult did you fish through you know, college I through that yeah. yeah I was gonna say you know <laughs> I went through those years where I just I kind of kept it a secret I mean now fishing is so different now um I, when I was in high school even you know I, I was there fishing on the weekends you know if I was if I didn't have a babysitting gig mm -hmm. I was fishing with my family and and it wasn't anything I ever talked about. I actually went to a class reunion one time and a fellow that works for one of the bait companies here um, that's very well known said, you know, I had no idea you fished growing up. And I said, you know, we just didn't talk about it. It was, I, you know, I went, I did, I fished. We, we did, it was my family time. And, and it was, I took a friend every once in a while, but it wasn't something that, it was before all the social media. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing fish I caught. You know, I would tell somebody here and there, but it wasn't something that I bragged about. Hey, I'm an angler, <laughs> you know? So I kind of got away from from that some in high school. Um, still doing it, just not really talking about it much. And then I, I, was, I did still fish in college just because um, I ended up changing degrees and... Um, into marine science so i started out i was all over the place i went i started out in pretty law i went to marketing and journalism <laughs> and then i actually wanted to do 
to work for this wildlife magazine mm. in South Carolina. So I was doing public relations and stuff. And then um, there was a camp that I attended that just really that it made me know I, I can't be inside about this all the time. I, I have to go outside. So I changed my major to marine science. Uh, and then talk to us a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, and I believe it, it's, you call it aquatic education. Yeah. Yeah. So that camp that I was mentioning, um, was, is sponsored by the department of natural resources, the wildlife, the South Carolina wildlife federation and the garden clubs of South Carolina. So that's a big reason of why I do what I do now. So I, I attended that camp. Um, at when I was 13, and it's an invitation camp. Um, that so I went as a sponsored child through a garden club, and my mother took me to that camp, and I saw that rustic place. I said, "Do not leave me here." Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and um, it during the camp, you go to classes. It was forestry, soils, um, wildlife, hunter education, and fisheries. And I, by the end of that week, I, I didn't want to leave. So, you know, I went through the process. I had a few hitches here and there, but I ended up um, getting back as a counselor. And they did a test, a pilot test on a coastal program when I was a freshman in college. So they added that coastal year in, and, and that was the moment. So I had already finished my freshman year, and they said, you need, I need to use you as a guinea pig to come on this. We went and I changed my major immediately. And um, so, so having said that, all of those organizations have been very near and dear to my heart. And I, but I knew that's what I want to do. And people's like, people would say, you, we always knew that you would work in that field. And so I, it took a long time. So I, I don't know how much people know about, um, wildlife agencies and things, but a lot of times they're pretty hard to get into. So if someone out there is looking for some type of job in that field, persistence and volunteering is the key. So it took me three years of applying um, to the state agency, in addition to taking a job with another state agency, just to get some experience and in with the state, um, to really get to what I wanted to do. And so I finally got hired to do education. I was taking kids out in the marsh and explaining what the salt marsh does, how it acts as um, a sponge and helps keep um, flooding, you know, helps provide flood control. I talked about the critters that will live around us. And, you know, a lot of those kids just had not seen, they just didn't know it. They would see it or they would know it was there, but didn't understand really how it fit into our environment. So after doing that um, marine science or marine education for a while, the, the freshwater guys said, hey, well, we don't have that. And uh, you remember those few years I moved away from the coast? <laughs> that was when those freshwater folks in Columbia and where our agency is based said, we'd like to start an aquatic ed program. So I. I really was so lucky to be in a position to create South Carolina's first aquatic education program. Um, and the, even better than that, the, the fisheries guys knew 
hey, we know fish and we know how to manage fish and, and fish populations, but we really don't know anything about education. So they partnered with the education staff to come up with a hire. So I was kind of a split person. So it was nice because I could help with the education stuff, but I also was getting to create this this new aquatic ed program. And those guys went about it the right way. They kind of surveyed the public to see what, instead of hiring me and say, okay, go make a program. They did a little research on the, on the front end to say what kind of fishing um, information is needed. And then let me come up with a plan and then, you know, provided that based on the needs, which really ended up being um, very forward thinking on their part, because uh, I don't know, have y'all heard of the term R3? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I dream about it occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. So that recruitment retention and reactivation, that wasn't a thing when I started the program. So I started this in 99. But the, the, the fact of it was they hired this human dimensions company to come in and we went around to schools. Uh, not only did we survey the general public and, and the anglers, but we also surveyed the kids. Cool. And it was, we had a lot of hoops to jump through, um, but it was so rewarding because I got to go in as, I couldn't identify myself as an agency employee, but we went in just to see what they knew about the agency, just to see what they knew about their environment, about the aquatic environment. And so we were able to really target and pinpoint what we needed to share with them and how to get it to them. So what we found was, um, I think it was about 90% or upper 80% of the kids in South Carolina had already been fishing before Mm -hmm. once, Mm -hmm. but it was retention. And from the moment we started that program retention was the key but that was like I said that was before the R3 was a thing so it's really neat to have been a part of something that was a program to keep youth and families engaged before that was even around so I I always try to keep that retention type thought in my programs and so now what I'm doing I'm doing uh, my business is called angling women so i i teach introductory fishing to families and to women and and but i'm so excited about artemis because i can now give those women someplace to go for that retention you know i can get them to where they're dangerous (laughs) let me teach you how to get started and then um and then it's nice to be able to have to know now that there's an outlet that, where i can send them where they can engage with other women and and participate mm-hmm. yeah i think that's something we learned quickly in our first couple of years is like this is the this is the niche that we need to fill is all of these wonderful um mentoring and education and recruitment programs doing such good work um we need there needs to be a landing place after that um right and we're yeah yeah, we're trying to be that landing place. Right. And, and the program that we initially, you know, it's changed now. It's in South Carolina, the, the aquatic ed program is doing great things, um, but it has evolved. It's not that program anymore. So it's now working with high school bass clubs and family fishing clinics and things. But, you know, the way we had it designed originally was to engage the family. It was It was sort of like scouting. They had a notebook. They had goals. 
um, they could accomplish each each thing they did, identify the parts of a fish, catch three different species. It was things to keep fishing top of mind and keep them engaged. So um, always that's always kind of how I'm working it, not only to create anglers, but to create conservation-minded anglers, I guess. High five. <laughs> air long distance air high five for that one that's right um, yep. uh so i'm curious with angling women i just have so many questions about about that but i i think first question is um why did you choose to focus on educating women on fishing so uh <laughs> well um so this is gonna be a good people, answer i can tell well <laughs> Well, no, people ask me all the time, like, well, why do you just educate women? And, and quite frankly, it is run by women. Mm. So my sisters and I, and I have another friend that kind of helped me run the programs and the education activities and things, but it's not exclusive to women. Mm -hmm. So it's run by women. So we, I guess we're the angling women, Got um, it. but very rarely do I get a guy on occasion I have, but I, I get a guy call me and say, Hey, I need a fishing lesson mm -hmm. because just, I mean, personalities and, um, tend tend to send them to the tackle shop to sit down and listen to a seminar by somebody else. Now, if, if the guy is secure and, <laughs> and enough to, to call me and ask me for a lesson, you know, I've always provided that lesson. But a lot, I'd say nine times out of 10, the only way I get a male in my classes, uh, now the kids, I do boys and girls. But when I get a man that comes to my class, he's either coming as a family unit or he's attending because I do birthday parties. He'll attend the birthday party, and inevitably, I will hear the guys whisper. I'll see these guys kind of bunch up while I'm start while I'm tying a knot or doing something, and start chatting. and And I will always, every single time they leave, I will hear them say, "Oh, I learned something while I was here," and that is just music to my ears. I love to hear that. I mean, we can all learn from each other, and I'm sure they had plenty of stuff they could share with me as well. Um, but it is nice to be able to get them involved. I, I keep it at Angling Women. I do have some products that I've kind of developed and I put the name Old Bridge Outfitters on those because I, I didn't want men to not purchase them because it said Angling Women. So, so yeah, it's run by women, but we provide services to anybody. But as you could expect, I have a huge component of people that go through that are just women. Uh, Becca, do you have any questions? I'm going to pause and give you space. <laughs> um, well, you said something. So you also have the outfitting name that you use. So are you actually a licensed outfitter in South Carolina? I am not an outfitter. It is just a brand of gear that that I have come up with. So I am not a I'm not considered an outfitter. I think that term gets a little um, confusing because I think it means something different where mm -hmm. out West versus mm -hmm. 
where you are here because a lot of times um, outfitters are just considered like clothing stores here. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, and um, so it's just the brand name that I gave to my product. The, everything that I've I've come up with and designed product wise is are things that I have needed over my professionally I've been doing the fishing sport fishing type education for probably about 25 years so over those years and doing events and and just fishing myself I've come up with things that I've needed <laughs> like for example one of the things that I needed I went to test out a kayak trail uh, with work with the DNR and we were testing it seeing how it was and checking the um, the put-ins and takeouts and stuff like that and I had to drive down to the coast and do that this is when I was working in Columbia and then I had to rush back to Columbia shower at the uh, you know at the facility and change clothes and then go to a legislative reception so okay sound familiar <laughs> So they'll never, they'll never notice if you have a little on your, under your fingernails. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I wanted my tackle box. I wanted to be able to just take a bag. So I have these tackle purses that are designed for you to carry out to dinner or carry in the boat. They will, they have Velcro straps to strap down to the deck of your kayak or your, um, your paddleboard and then it has a little flap that comes down where you can do your rigging over it and they're they come with two tackle boxes inside (laughs) but they're purses so it's just one of those small niche things that I was like I need that um I also have these little rod charms my I would come back I would get a new rod dad we would go fishing we would come back and clean off all the rods and dad would put them on the in the workshop and I said well where'd you put my rod he said oh well, I put my rods up. I said, no, where's my rod? <laughs> well, that one, they're, those are mine. They're in there. I said, no, that's one, that's mine. They all looked alike. So <laughs> in, the, in the tradition of wine charms, I came up with these rod charms oh, that fantastic. you go on your hookkeeper. <laughs> so yeah, I have these little charms that hang on your hookkeeper. And I have fished with one for years. It never gets tangled. Um, it doesn't hang low enough to get caught while you're casting. Now, if you're a professional angler, I wouldn't, you know, people won't use it if they're cat fishing tournaments and stuff like that. But I, I have it just dangling on there. So I know that's my rod. <laughs> so everybody knows that's your rod. I love it. <laughs> everybody knows my rod. Exactly. So nice. yeah, I, you know, just little things like that, that I've come up with that just help me like solve the problem. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> but um, um, back to the aquatic ed and those programs. One of the things that I didn't mention, um, I told you from the on the front side where they did a lot of research. We came up with a plan. We presented it, and so these kids, uh, there were there were thousands of kids that are in that program, or that were in that program that are now aging. You know, some of those youngest kids are now in their mid twenties. And just recently, you know, I've got, I get to see them. I get to see these families, these kids that are now adults with their own families start to take their children fishing. And one girl who started, who has, was a diehard freshwater angler start and add um, deep sea fishing on her 
um, repertoire. So I get to see these kids. One one child who who joined the program was not super active in it, but always received the information. So again, that top of mind stuff is now uh, winning tournaments and and a and he's a guy. That's fun. so it's so cool to be able to see that it's actually making an impact. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my sister's family is visiting Montana. They live in Ohio, but they're visiting Montana now. And one of the reasons they came out was because their 12 year old really wants to learn how to fly fish. And so they went, mm-hmm. you know, the water's really high right now, so it's not the best time, but they were able to go on a guided trip on the Missouri river. Um, and yeah, he's just, he looks so happy with this giant smile. Yeah. It's fantastic to it is. see them uh, just take to it so deeply. Right. Those, those smiles, I mean, they're really, it, it's what makes you go. Mm-hmm. And, and you really want to kind of, and, and that's what I think Artemis is kind of bringing back some of those because so many women that we, that I've encountered through Artemis have um have had that smile when they were kids but haven't seen it mm-hmm. since and you're getting to re-see those you know so it's oh, it's, it's nice that they found somebody yeah. yeah oh god that's so true when I because I always say like one of the reasons that when I first started hunting and fishing um one of the reasons I stuck to it was because I felt like a kid on her way to an amusement park every time I would leave the house mm-hmm. to go and it's just yes yeah, that excitement um that mm-hmm. I hadn't felt since and I was ha- a kid and how many pictures do you take of your fish or your whatever you're whatever you're doing out there? Well, I, I have an experience of dropping my phone while I was trying to take a picture of a fish. Oh, no. So, and it, that was, that was oh. a $700 fish pick. So I try not to take too many. But oh, when I'm with other word. people all the time. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I think and with with social media and with the ease of having cameras and not having to take it and get your film developed and Mm -hmm. you know um, maybe waterproof cases would be a good thing (laughs) um (laughs) I actually have a a fishing float attached to my waterproof waterproof case oh that's but um but you know I think it's so important because not only of all those things where we want to capture and preserve those memories and the, and see that the excitement and that thrill, but I think it has prompted more people to be more conservative and participate in catch and release. They don't want to have to kill it and take it home and show it off. They can mm. they can take that picture and release it mm-hmm. and still be just as happy. Um, so I I mean I I hate to say it, but I think the photography part is is helping with conservation a little bit yeah that makes sense <laughs> don't quote me on that <laughs> <laughs> we call that uh qualitative not quantitative <laughs> yes exactly exactly <laughs> um can you tell us a story of one of your favorite memories on the water and i can only imagine that you have a bucket load to choose from but if you could pick one what was it? what would it be oh gosh you know, I mean, I don't want to be that girl that says um, something, like, personal about me. But, I mean, there's, you know, taking the kids. I take hundreds and hundreds of kids fishing. So, a- including my three, I love taking my kids fishing. I love the look on their faces. Um, my my son caught a gar 
and I mean they are like little dinosaurs but he he would at the time he caught it I think he was probably about six and he was like this has been on my bucket list and I'm like I don't know what a bucket list is (laughs) but um you know there was there was a um there was a moment uh, one of the things I'm I'm gonna tell you a couple there was one of the times I was in Montana um and I was fishing with some pretty interesting folks that were very knowledgeable I was not so knowledgeable I have very expensive fly rods so I look knowledgeable but I they were way ahead of me and I didn't catch anything that day and that's what they call it fishing and not catching but I just remember being so it was so surreal it's like a different world than it is at the coast and I got to the end of that trip and I mean the you know you see the little rays shooting through the clouds and um and it's one of those things that I'm not super religious but I just said I looked at the one fellow beside me I said I just said God is here and he goes and this is where he fishes (laughs) (laughs) it just cracked me up because I was so excited just to be there and and I didn't even catch anything I mean I caught other fish that trip but that day I didn't but it was just so magical but um I guess one of the most important or moments when it really turned me on to fly fishing was my really my first true fish on my own on the fly and I had gone I was living in Columbia I had I had no idea you could really catch trout I mean I did because I worked at the agency but I, I really didn't realize you could catch trout in the Saluda River in Columbia because they live in such cold water. But the river is fed from the bottom of the dam, so it's cold water, and it and they'll stock trout in there. So I was I went out with a buddy, and we were fishing in the in the river just above the zoo, and getting coached. It was amazing and you that first tag you feel on a fly and you know you're being spent growing up spin fishing was a lot of reeling involved and not stripping the line so I kind of was in this panic I was like what do I do and and I stripped that fish in and just standing there in that cold water in the middle of state which is as Morgan told us in one of the podcasts uh super hot (laughs) I mean you're standing in the cold water it's hot outside you can see almost you can see the city kind of through the trees it was just was just such a neat experience to catch my first trout right right in the middle of the city basically Hmm. and and have that feeling of being in a different world it was cool and that's probably the moment that really turned me on to fly fishing that's super cool (laughs) it's so yeah I um, I, I, I love fishing city rivers. I mean, obviously I love fishing yeah. woods with rivers too and mountain rivers, but there is something cool that you can just, um, walk off the city bridge and, and catch beautiful fish. And that was helicopter stock. Like, you know, that fish dropped out of a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> That's amazing. How, you may not know the answer to this, and it's probably not even important, but how far do they drop them? 
Like how, how far does that fish fly? That is a good question. Um, and you know, it probably wasn't, they, they probably were, um, they opened the, the tank and dropped it in, but there are some of the more open rivers where they, are, where they will helicopter stock them. I don't know the height. Um, uh, it's not super high and that's because the helicopters can get lower, uh-huh. but, um, but yeah, I'll have to find that out. I'll, I'll let you know that you let me know how the Amber Romance okay. does. I'll let you know how high they are. It's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, but I'm going to transition us to hits and misses. But before we do that, BB, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or um, mention? Well, there was one other thing that I think was mentioned um, earlier. And I'm, and I'm going to go down a quick list of maybe some ideas and some tips for taking somebody that hasn't been before or, or kids. Perfect. Um, and so when I, when I go with somebody or when I'm taking somebody, I mean, once you get experience at going with that person, you can fish with them. But if I'm taking somebody new or taking a kid, taking kids early on, I, I just leave your rod at home because mm-hmm. really the trip is going to be about the other. And, and it, it's frustrating for you because as soon as you cast out, they're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. So it's better just to kind of go and focus on whoever you're taking at the time. Um, because that just, it just doesn't work. Well, first of all, safety first, if you're going somewhere, please, you know, always have on a PFD. If you're, if you're in a boat or don't feel comfortable near the water, um, you know, all the safety stuff, PFD, sunscreen, Amber romance, all that good stuff. Um, (laughs) but, um, and then, but, you know, get some gear, know where you're going, take, if you're going to, if you're going to go fish for brim with, with some kids, just have more have more than what you think you're going to need so if you're fishing with beetle spins if you're fishing with crickets um take the extra tackle take more bait than you think you're going to need that kind of stuff um if you have the time to do ahead of time or even while you're there while you're while you're doing rigging the rod if you have time teach them mm-hmm. um we ever all of us have somebody that'll take us fishing but not everybody has somebody that will teach them to fish. And, and that's really what angling women does. We're, we, know, we know that you can go with somebody in your family or somebody, your next door neighbor, but th- we want to help you learn it, not just go with them and have it handed to you. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're able to teach them, just teach them how to tie a knot or show them how to bait the hook, let them try. Um, just getting that hands-on involvement engagement is great um but be ready to untangle good gracious just be ready you're gonna untangle all day um I do that with myself but anyway. and, yeah, and you know have stuff for if they get bored if you if you've got kids um and you're really trying to spark an interest or love for fishing there's a few little tricks to do and you know have magnifying glasses have binoculars or um, a little net for them to catch minnows but any kind of little thing if, if you see them start to get bored because they're not catching I mean ideally you want to take them someplace where they're gonna start catching fairly quickly but if you don't you still want them to have a positive memory of that trip so I pull out all the stops if we're not fishing I'll talk about the fish I'll talk about the bugs and the critters and the birds and whatever that's around there and then if all else fails 
you pull out the secret snack that you never let them have except special occasions. <laughs> and then it puts that, and it gives them that pause. Remember, oh, you remember that time we went fishing? Yes, I got those Cheetos or whatever it is. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just trying to make it a positive experience. We all, we just want everybody to have a fun, positive experience. And of course we want them to leave it in a better condition. I always tell people leave it better than you found it. So um, just practicing conservation. If you're going to catch and release, know that before you go. If you, if you don't know what you're fishing for, don't keep it if you can't identify it because you don't know the rules on it. But, you know, as long as you get to be outside and, and have some cool experiences, it's going to be a successful trip. I have never had anybody come back to me. Actually, I've had everybody come back to me that has not caught a fish when I'm out there. And everybody has said, what a great trip it was, whether, whether fish or not. So it's, that is a huge compliment, I feel, when they have just as good a time as when they don't catch a fish. It makes me feel great. It's wonderful. Um. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for those tips. I think I think the idea of bringing like uh, nets and and binoculars and magnifying glasses is brilliant um, because I think particularly with young kids, that's definitely something I learned when I was um, a teacher. Is yeah, they they they're into the details. They're into mm-hmm. um, getting really close and and looking at things. Um, my dad used to joke that it was because I was so close to the ground that I couldn't walk three feet without picking something up. Um, but it's true. And those kinds of tools are, are easy to pack and right. Awesome. And, and, you know, you, you don't, again, if you're trying to create a positive memory and a positive experience, you don't want to say sit there and watch that bobber and don't take your eye off of it. Yeah. Don't talk to me. Yeah. Don't mess with me. Watch that bobber. What, can you tell that that has happened to me? Um, (laughs) but, but, you know, those, those things, those were all learning processes. And so that puts us, however you treat the trip is however they're going to remember it. So if you, if you put a lot of rules in place and things like that, they're going to remember it. It's like, oh yeah, I don't want to go fishing, but if you make it fun, then they're going to want to go back. And that's what we really want. That's great. Uh, Becca, do you have any burning questions before we do hits and misses? No, but I feel like I need to go buy a uh, magnifying glass now and take it with me when I fish. (laughs) I still have room in my little pouch. Yeah, I know. That's an amazing idea. Um, Also coming to the Facebook podcast group is um, a a best field um, magnifying glasses for your fly fishing vest. Stay tuned. We'll do some research into that too. I know, I know Meg probably has some good ideas for us with all of the bugs that she digs up. Um, okay. Yeah. Throw some field guides in there too. Yes. Always. (laughs) The number of field guides I have. Yeah. I, I probably carry around 10 pounds of field guides. Um, but that's okay. Makes me happy. Uh, hits and yeah. misses. So our weekly closer. What have you been aiming for, and how did it go? BB, do you want to kick us off? Uh, sure. So do I? Do I have to give you a hit and a miss? Nope. You can <laughs> choose. You can give us a hit or a miss. Okay. Um. All right. Well, I'll give you my miss because, <laughs> um, like I said, I grew up saltwater fishing. 
I didn't start freshwater fishing until I was an adult or in my 20s. And I, from what I hear, a lot of people catch largemouth bass. I mean, I've caught a largemouth bass before. But I I tend to stay in the nursery area, <laughs> like uh, toddler-sized largemouth bass. I cannot get out of the toddler-sized largemouth bass. So I have, I have been really focusing on trying to catch a bigger largemouth bass. I, I mean, the number of different things in my tackle box is astonishing. <laughs> and I have been going places and trying every single different thing in my tackle box. But I still, if you look at my feed, you will just be sad and see my tiny large mouth that I find. <laughs> so, that, so that is my goal is to... To really catch a, a largemouth, you know, maybe over two or three pounds would be great. But so I, that is, I am still working on that. That is definitely a miss for me. I can catch a largemouth bass. It's just going to be a toddler. <laughs> you want a large, <laughs> largemouth bass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is your, exactly. uh, where can people find you so they can follow and, and keep track of your progress? So I am on, um, Facebook and Instagram as Angling Women, and um, and I'm on LinkedIn as that as my name, BB Dalton Harrison. Um, I I kind of have my my world all over the place, so I I have my irons in a lot of fires with helping out with um, Angler Action Foundation, Angling Women, South Carolina Wildlife Federation. The DNR camp, our DNR camp starts in two weeks. Um, so I'm, I've kind of got a lot of things going on. And it, sometimes it might, it's fun to kind of watch because you never know what I'm going to be after. So nice. it's fun to kind of follow along. <laughs> Fantastic. And we'll link to that in our show notes so everybody can, uh, can find you pretty easily. Um, Great. Awesome. Uh, Becca, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? Well, I have my sister visiting me. She lives in Reno. She's up in Idaho for three weeks. Um, it's been really nice to have her around to help uh, just around the house and the property. But over the weekend, we both had a matching three-day weekend off. So we jetted up to Glacier National Park. Mm. Um, we had the dog, so we couldn't really spend that much time in the park. But we camped and hiked and um, spent a lot of time on all the outskirts of both both the west and the east side. And if anyone's been over to the east side of Glacier, you'll know it's like it's my favorite. It's otherworldly. It is incredible. Um, and I was able to bring her up to the Canadian border. She'd never seen that. So it was all around just an incredible weekend up there. The crowds were really low. Um, the water was high, so I wasn't able to fish. But the best thing is when I woke up this morning after that weekend, it's tons of driving, but just the relaxation and the scenery is unbeatable up there. Um, I woke up this morning and I, and I got to my computer to start work and I have had writer's block for like three months for this piece that I'm writing. And I feel horrible. I have to keep emailing people and being like, I'm so sorry, but I just don't have the time and I can't, like, I don't want to write this article that I'm working on and it to end up, you know, not being the outcome that everybody wanted mm -hmm. and there's no hard deadline. So I've just been taking my time on it, but 
my writer's block is gone. So I woke up this morning and like, that Yay. was the biggest revelation. And so I was working on it this morning at like 7am at my computer and Ugh. be done with this piece. It's on um, private land conservation um, and this program that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Idaho is doing with some ranchers across the state, but I'm um, hoping to have it done by the end of the week. So thank you, um, Northern Montana and the Canadian border for, <laughs> for fixing my writer's it was block. Nice. It was definitely worth the mosquito bites, right? <laughs> it was so worth it. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, were the wildflowers just bonkers up there right now? You know, yes and no. It It's still dry. It rained a little bit on us mm. while we were up there, but it mm. wasn't as like lush as I was expecting in terms of wildflowers, you know. Interesting. But the east side of the park is like my sister coming from, you know, the desert of Reno, she's like, oh. I feel like I have sun, like these lenses on my glasses that are just making everything overexposed because the green over there is just. <laughs> it, it it really is going from one place to another like that. It's just really like feels like you're in another world. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. Well, I, yeah, I look mm -hmm. forward to that reading that piece. Um, send it our way. Definitely. When you've, when you've got it out there. Yeah, I sure will. Um, so I'm going to give a, a, a hit that's not my hit by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, but Ashley had her baby, um, which is fantastic. She had a healthy baby girl who with this full head of dark brown hair. Um, <laughs> and so Ashley's out on maternity leave for the next few months. Um, but everybody send her positive new mom thoughts. Um, everybody's doing Hello. great. Yeah. So exciting. So that's a hit that I had absolutely nothing to do with. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, BB, thank you so much for being here for this conversation. I really enjoyed this and it was great to hear you, uh, to learn more about you and hear um, about some of the cool things that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Look forward to meeting lots more people in the Artemis world. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's been so <laughs> wonderful uh, working with our new ambassador cohort and some of the things that you all have planned um, are just really exciting and inspiring and I'm very excited for it. Um, okay. I'm ready to, I'm ready to try some hunting, get, get, get better with those skills yes. too. I definitely need help mm -hmm. with that. Well, have you had <laughs> a chance to meet Morgan in person yet? Oh yeah. Oh good. Now that, Morgan and I went to that camp together. So oh, the camp that I was mentioning. Nice. Yeah. So I've known her for a long time, but we've reconnected. But yes, we've gotten to meet in person and we are guns ablaze and ready to go. It's a South Carolina powerhouse for sure. <laughs> That's right. Love it. <laughs> all right. To all our listeners, we're going to wrap this up for now. But if you have something to add, we definitely want to hear from you. Send us an email, artemis at nwf.org. Or, as I mentioned, we have an Artemis Podcast Facebook group. If you're not already a member of that, come find us out on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Mm -hmm.